pastors are human too, right? Sometimes you just come to the end of yourself. Or maybe your finances, where you get so jammed up, you have to take bankruptcy. There's no way out. It's dark. You just, you, there, there's, there's no solution to your situation. That is when we need God. That is when we need God's faithfulness. Not our faithfulness, His faithfulness. God's mercy is not just for a select few, it's for us all. Life is hard and God knows that. He knows that you and I are going to fail along the way. He knows that we need Him to be faithful when we are not. In fact, here's one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. Look at this verse. If we are faithless, He he remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. How awesome is that? When we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He's not just faithful to us because he loves us. He's faithful to us because he is faithful. I tell people, my wife hasn't left me over the last 27 years, not because I'm so amazing, but because she is so amazing. She is just a virtuous woman. She is faithful, steadfast, and true. She told me after two years of marriage, I'm now convinced that men stop maturing at 13. And I said, and? Your point would be? (laughs) She has just hung in there, Mary. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus, faith being the root word of faithfulness, Jesus initiates our faith nurtures our faith all throughout our lives and is the finisher of our faith did you know that look at this scripture right here this next scripture therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto who come on looking unto who the author say this out loud with me the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down to the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, Isabel, I mean, um, Christian, come here. All right, so I'm Jesus because I'm probably the most like him in this whole church. And uh, <laughs> oh my, that person couldn't even say it quietly. They're like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? All right, okay, so you have just come to Jesus because Jesus put a measure of faith in you. You raise your hand and said, I receive Christ. Jesus puts a measure of faith in you to begin your race. All right? Jesus doesn't then just come over and sit down and say, all right, good luck. I gave you a good start. Hope you make it. Okay? That's not how Jesus rolls, right? So Jesus began with you, and then Jesus does this. He's like, all right, come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. We're running our spiritual race. This is what we're doing, right? We're running our spiritual race. And then every once in a while, he falls down. Now you go down there. He falls down. And then Jesus, this is how Jesus rolls. Seriously? You're such a loser. (laughs) No. What does Jesus do when we fail? He's faithful. Right? He's like, all right. And then you, all right, go ahead. Go ahead, because that's Jesus. Now, he, of course, wants to talk to Jesus about his failure and how he's a loser and how he sinned and all that, right? But what is Jesus doing? It's like, all right, come on, let's go. This is how Jesus rolls. He just keeps saying, let's go, let's go, let's go, and he keeps walking with him. Then he's also, at the end of the race, this is where you're going to die, okay, and then you come to heaven, all right? And you got, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yes! The author and the finisher of our faith. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is. Now, you might be tired of hearing about me and Josiah if you watch my daily videos and incursion videos. It just ha- so happens that I'm out on a track with Josiah every morning because he's training for nationals. We leave tomorrow morning to go to Denver. And, and so you won't have to hear about that anymore after this, except after he wins, then I'll come back and tell you how awesome my son is. But thank you. But it's exciting. But here's the thing. Um, we go every morning we go to Ramona High School the principal gave us the keys to the kingdom we go in there we get the track all to ourselves it's so cool and um, by the way I got a jersey for you today I called the print I texted the principal this morning and a jersey is going to be the house this afternoon all right okay so 
Josiah's on the line. And I'm Jesus. And I'm, I got to say, ready, set, go. And he takes off, right? So I'm at the beginning. I'm training. I'm his coach right now because, you know, school's out. So I'm the coach. Sorry. Anyway. And so, and so, and so I am, I, I, I say, go. So I'm the, I'm the initiator of him getting off the line. I'm with him. And as he's going on the track, I am yelling, push, 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 go, 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 get low, get low, push, 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 right? Watch your form, watch your form, right? And so I'm encouraging him all along the way. And then he's coming around the long straight, he's coming around the home stretch, and I'm right there screaming, push, push, push. That's what Jesus does to you and I. That's who he is. He is our faithful Savior. He was there at the beginning of your faith. He's with you all the way through your life, nurturing your faith along the way, and He will be with you at the end of your race to receive you into heaven. Jesus is absolutely committed, more committed to your spiritual success than you are, and He's playing the long game. Here's a great example. Jesus says this to Peter, and the Lord said to Simon, said Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. I don't know how that all works, but obviously there's spiritual things going on behind the scenes and we're caught in the middle of this cosmic warfare. Jesus says, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And you all know, if you know Peter's story, uh, that happened. Where in Jesus' darkest hour, He's being falsely accused, arrested, tortured, crucified, right in the middle of Jesus' darkest hour when he needed his best friends the most, they forsook him. And Peter cussed and said, I don't even know him, turned his back on Jesus, denied him three times. Jesus knew he was going to do that when he called him. Come on, come on, come on. Jesus knew when he called Peter to follow him, Jesus knew you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You're going to fail me. But he loved him anyway. And he walked with him. And then he told him, okay, here's what's going to happen next. You're going to fail miserably. Everybody say, but. Come on, the buts in the Bible are the best part of the Bible. Come on, say, but. There's some big butts in the Bible, man. There's some small ones, but then there's some big ones. This is a big butt. But, everybody say, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. But it looks like his faith did fail. He denied Jesus and walked away, went back to fishing. He, it's over. I blew it. But you see, his faithfulness is dependent on Jesus' faithfulness. Even when your faith looks like it's gone, Jesus still has more for you. How many times have I been scraped up off the pavement and I knew it wasn't my willpower? I can't count them. It was the Lord breathing fresh vision, hope, faith into me. I told him to stop at times. I've said, cut it out. I want to quit. Quit inspiring me. I've actually told him that. He is faithful and he releases his faithfulness into our faithlessness so that we are faithful. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, I told you he's playing the long game. And when you have returned to me, he wasn't all butt hurt. He was like, you're going to deny me and you're going to forsake me. You know, I'm just going to go find new friends. He said, after you've rejected me and you come back to me, strengthen your brethren. Be an encouragement to others. Encourage them the way I'm going to encourage you. Restore them the way I'm going to restore you. And so what happened? I haven't even gotten to the story I want to get into because this is just too good, right? What happened? Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter thought his, his calling was over, his ministry's over, following Jesus is over. He goes back to fishing where Jesus originally found him. 
He's back to plan B or plan Z. And then Jesus is on the shore, calls out to him. Peter realizes it's Jesus. Jumps out of the boat, doesn't even wait for the guys to row the boat in. He's so excited to see Jesus. But on the way there, you know, he's thinking, oh, 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 I blew it so Um, I don't know if I want to see him, but I want to see him. And he comes up onto the shore. And what did Jesus say? I can't believe you. Seriously? That's all I've done for you in my darkest hour? Unbelievable. Such a loser. Can't believe I chose you. Is that what he said? No. What, what was he doing before he said anything? He was cooking him breakfast. God was cooking Peter breakfast. In the Middle East, that's a sign of friendship. And all he said was, he didn't even talk to him about his denial. All he said was, do you love me? Yes. All right, let's go. Start talking about his future. We are faithful because he is faithful. I want to talk to you about a guy in the Old Testament that was one of the mightiest men of God ever. He pulled off one of the greatest displays of God's power in human history and in all of the Bible, Elijah. All this, or the whole nation had turned from God, much like our nation has been doing the last 30, 40, 50 years. Turn, 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 turn. And to the statistics of people's faith in Jesus in our country is at an all-time low. Israel completely turned from God, worshiping false idols. Ahab the king and Jezebel his wife were into witchcraft and sorcery and had lured all of God's people into idolatry and, 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 and dark magic and just uh, uh, sexual immorality. and just, 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 It was just dark and nasty and awful. Elijah walks, upon, walks on the scene as the man of God and he has a spiritual competition. Let's see whose God is the true God. Whoever can call fire down from heaven wins. And so Jezebel's uh, uh, prophets went first and they couldn't do it. Elijah stands up. He says one small prayer. Whoosh, fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice. He wins. All of Israel, all of God's people, the whole nation turns back to God in that moment. Elijah has all the false prophets killed. And game over. God wins, right? Well, that should be the way the story ends. But it doesn't matter how spiritually powerful you are. You and I can fail. And oftentimes when you have the greatest spiritual success of your life, right after that, Satan will attack you harder than ever because he wants to knock you off your game. And oftentimes, if we don't recognize, as Paul said, we are not ignorant of Satan's strategies. Satan is a strategist. He strategizes the demise of your marriage, the demise of your ministry, the demise of your children, the demise of your finances, the demise of your physical health. He is a strategist. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy you and us. And if we don't recognize his attack... We can succumb to it, and we can have one of the spiritual, the greatest spiritual lows or valleys of our lives. And it was so confusing. Gosh, just Sunday, man, I was prophesying, and I was, God used me so powerfully, and the church service was so amazing, and now it's Wednesday, and I'm where, doing what, with who? I'm not talking about anybody in here. I'm talking about... If anybody else is watching from somewhere else on another planet, I'm talking about you, not, not these people. Yeah, we all have ups and downs. Nobody has a straight line. Nobody's spiritual walk is a straight line. 
Like, I started with Jesus, and I had a straight line. I never failed. I had no downs. I just went straight from here to heaven. And Jesus was like, man, you did a perfect job. Nobody, nobody except for Jesus himself. Everybody's spiritual journey with Jesus is more like a zigzag and more like this. And thank God we make it. And the only reason we make it is because he's faithful to us. Our faithfulness is because of his faithfulness. So, we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done. And also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose up and said, I will call fire down upon your head just like I did upon all your prophets. Is that what he did? He could have if he did not do one thing. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat under a broom tree, and prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Fear will drive you insane. He allowed the words of the devil through Jezebel to enter his heart, and he bought them. It was only a threat. False evidence appearing real, fear. He had the power of God on his fingertips. She was no match for him. But he allowed fear to cripple his perception of reality. He allowed fear to paralyze his heart. And fear causes you to run and hide. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But the unrighteous run when there is no lion in the street. And so he caved to fear. And fear drove him to depression and to suicide, ideation. He wanted to die. He was asking God to kill him. Some of you in here, I'm sure, have prayed that prayer before. Some of you online, I'm sure you've been there before. It's like, God, just please kill me and end this misery. It may not be fear that has driven you to that dark, dark place where you just want to throw in the towel, but maybe it's shame. You feel like you have blown it so bad that God can never forgive you. Maybe it's jealousy. Where you're just, just envious and jealous and it's just eating you up. Maybe it's unforgiveness and you're just bitter and angry. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride and arrogance. These things distort reality, distort our perceptions, poison our hearts, and drive us into negative, dark places. That's why we need to repent from these things and ask God to please cleanse me, heal me, give me your perspective on this relationship, on life. On you, on me, please, God, give me your clarity and your wisdom. I pray that every day. Because there's no way that you and I as human beings have a clear, accurate perception on practically anything. But God does. And His Spirit is in you and on you if you are a follower of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. He's in us. The Spirit's in us. But it's these things that distort and twist and cripple us that we need to get out of our hearts so that we can see clearly. Can I hear an amen? amen. Satan will just come and try to paralyze you with fear. He's an intimidator. He's a liar. A friend of mine, a minister, he was went to a city to preach and was in the hotel room. And in the middle of the night, he woke up and there were these two red eyes at the end of his bed. It was a demon that had manifested. And the demon said to him, you've come to my city to try to preach the gospel, but I'm going to kill you. And my friend said to him, no, you're not. Because if you were going to do that, you wouldn't be here telling me about it. And he rebuked him and the demon just left. And he had powerful meetings. You see, the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus pulled his teeth out at the cross and the resurrection. See, he tried to gum you to death with his lies and deceptions, 
and, and try to, the Bible says that, you know, uh, he, he, will, he will try to lead us away into sin so that we end up confused and shame-filled and fearful. And I mean, that's what he's doing here. He's using Jezebel to try to get fear into the man of God, and he did, and look what happened. Okay. So what did God do when his man, his preacher, his spiritual leader, his pastor, whatever you want to call him in his context, you, me, those that are influencers in our circles of influence for Christ, the fragrance of Christ that work in our families, in our neighborhoods, and we fail miserably like Elijah, running in fear, abandoning our call, God shows up to Elijah and he says, you are pathetic. Right? (laughs) Then why do we, okay, in church it's easy to say no, no, but when you're alone, that's what you're thinking about yourself. Oh, now I'm meddling, aren't I, huh? Now I'm all up in your business. Yeah, it's easy to read stories in the Bible and see God's mercy and grace and faithfulness to these people or to the person sitting next to me. But when it's your turn and you have failed and you have sinned and you are prideful and jealous and stubborn and full of unforgiveness and bitterness, right? And what do you hear in your head that's supposedly God talking to you? Is it restoration? Is it mercy? Is it grace? Is it love? Is it Him encouraging you along the way? Usually not. Because we buy into the committee that lives in our head that is the critical committee. Always talking to you about your weaknesses, your failings, your shortcomings, you're a hypocrite, you're a loser, right? No, if everybody really knew about your sins and what you really did and what you really think, right, they would reject you and they would abandon you and I know everything because I created you and I'm your God and, right? Anybody? Anybody at all? Anybody in this church ever? You got, anybody have that committee? Right? Okay, great. I got four honest people in the church. I'll preach to you four, the rest of you. What did God do? What did God do? Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, which is, uh, I'm not going to translate that. We don't have time to talk about broom trees. Dr. Seuss territory here, broom trees. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake of coals on coals and a jar of water. How precious is our God. How tender. How kind. How long-suffering. Isn't this amazing, Mark? Utter spiritual failure. And what does God do? Cook some breakfast. He's he's just so good that it's just hard to believe at times. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He did it again. Sometimes when you need restoration, it takes more than one touch from God. And, And he will touch you, cook for you, minister you over and over and over and over again until you are restored. Because he's more committed to your spiritual success than either you or I are. He is our faithful God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Some of you are there today. You need this message. You need to know who he is and how he views you and how he is truly treating you who the enemy is, the voice of the accuser is not the voice of Jesus at all. 
In fact, that's the opposite voice. Jesus called him the father of lies. He presents himself as the voice of God to you and I. But when it's filled with shame, you know it's not Jesus. I used to have this voice in my head that I thought was God. Not like an audible voice, but just, you know, thoughts, right? It was always criticizing me. And one time I was, I had an apartment, I was, new apartment, I was putting gla- the glassware in this cupboard and the plates in that cupboard. And this, this, these thoughts kept saying, that's a dumb place to put the glasses. That's, a, that's not where you're supposed to put the plates. You know, that's, a dumb, that's not the right drawer to put silverware in. I'm, it's my apartment. I can put it under the bed if I want to, right? But I just got this constant nagging, critical voice in my head that's constantly cutting me down. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Lord spoke to my mind and said, would a friend always be criticizing everything you do? And I said, no. I'm thinking, that's why are you, what? No. And he said, I'm the best friend you have. That was a watershed moment for me and my walk with the Lord. That was the moment I learned that critical voice in my head was not God. It were, was voices from my upbringing. And I learned from that moment forward how to recognize the voice of Jesus from the voice of the devil. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is different than condemnation from the devil. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is when he tells you the truth about where you're screwing up, but it's full of hope when he tells you. That's how you know it's God. I feel so good after you rebuked me. That's weird, but it's he because it's full of love for you. Love tells you the truth when you're messing up. But the motivation for telling you is to get you to a better place. And all that is communicated in just one word from God because he's the spirit of life. It's like, wow, your rebukes are so wonderful. When Satan speaks a critical word, it's it is, you are disqualified. That's how you know it's not the Lord. So, he rose one of the strength of that food for 40 days, 40 nights. Went into a cave, spent the night in that place. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I am left, and they are coming to seek and take my life. I've got a Put the gas to the pedal, the pedal to the gas here, because I want to cover the rest of this chapter. But I could do a deep dive on this, and we could be here for a month. I'm not going to do that. But I want to cover. I want to do it. I want to skip the walk, the water across the rock here, because this whole story is important. How this thing ends up. You can see Elijah is not perceiving reality accurately. What does he say? Uh, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. That's true. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Okay. Yeah, but I alone am left. Not true, right? Because just in yesterday, all of Israel turned back to God. And he killed all the false prophets. But fear has distorted his reality until he is sucked down into this dark hole of depression and suicide ideation. He can't see straight. He can't see the victories. This is why it's so dangerous to live in unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, uh, self-pity. It's so dangerous to live down there because you can't see the goodness all around you. All you can see is you're looking through this lens that God didn't hand you. it's, it's It's a lens that's that's been handed to you by self-pity or by anger or fear or unforgiveness or depression or whatever. So you can't see your relationships right. You can't see your church right. You can't see your place of work right. You can't see your marriage right. You can't see God right. You're not looking through a clear lens. All of Israel had turned back to God. He's not alone, but this condition he's in is making him think he's all alone. And they seek to take my life. Well, they don't. They aren't. Just Jezebel. One person. Isn't that funny? How you can have like one or two people 
that are just jerks, and all of a sudden you think the whole human race sucks, right? Right? It's like, no, no. What about this person and that person and that person and that person? That's a good person. That person does good for you, right? What about this person? Well, yeah, yeah, right? You just clear the smoke until you can see accurately again. Okay. Then God said, go out. And so God's good. This is about God's faithfulness to Elijah because Elijah's faithfulness has run out. Right? He's, Elijah didn't think about throwing in the towel. He threw in the towel. In Elijah's mind... It's over. But not in God's mind. Then he said, go out in the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord passed by with a great strong wind, torn to the mountains, broke the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, a whisper. So it was when Elijah heard the whisper that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah's relationship with God was based on exploits, external power encounters, answered prayers. That's good, Mark. His relationship with the Lord was about these answered prayers at a grand level, biblical proportions. But when fear entered his heart and drove him into the ground, God knew that it wasn't the external exploits that was going to restore his man, his son, his child. Isn't it interesting that it says the earthquake, the fire, and the wind was so powerful that it split rocks, but it didn't move Elijah. It didn't say anything about Elijah going, oh my God, it's an earthquake. He just stood there because it says the Lord was not in these things, which is so interesting. But when God whispered, Elijah went, oh. You see, a whisper from God is more powerful than natural disasters that God is not in. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that unbelievable that you could be in an earthquake, a tornado, a fire, And it does not move you the way a whisper from God can. What was he doing? He was restoring Elijah's intimacy with God. That's what God is doing with some of you. He's restoring your intimacy, your relationship with him. So often we're looking for the spectacular because the, the uh, external displays of God's power will transfix us, but His voice will transform us. He's whispering to you. He's done this to me on so many occasions I can't count them where I'll be dead asleep and He'll, do, he'll go like this. My eyes will pop wide open. And it's 3.30 in the, in the morning and that's our prayer time. He's such a personal God, John. Isn't that amazing? I mean, don't need coffee. I'm wide awake by a whisper, John. And so then he asks Elijah again. He's trying to get him unstuck. He's fed him twice, supernatural food. He did this big display, whispers to him. Then he comes back and says, okay, let's see how my man's doing now. Let's, let's check in and see if he's restored yet. And he says, okay, Elijah, what are you doing here? The same question. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And because of the children of Israel, whom I have forsaken, your covenant torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and love they are seeking to take my life. He hasn't budged. He hasn't budged. I went on a two-day retreat a number of years back because I was done. I was frustrated, disillusioned, burned out, confused, upset about unanswered prayer, wanted to quit the ministry. And I went on a two-day retreat 
on Coronado, and for two days, I just ate and slept. And I felt like that was okay. I, 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 didn't, feel like, um, I didn't feel motivated to fast. I just I felt like I'm supposed to eat and sleep, and then I'd walk on the beach and try to hear from the Lord. Two days I did that. Didn't hear a thing. It came time to check out. And I was very disappointed because I've never gone on a retreat and not heard from the Lord. Ever. And I didn't hear from him. And I, was, I packed up my bag and I was ready to walk out of the hotel room. And I just felt impressed. Just kneel down one time and just thank the Lord for sleep and food. You know, whatever. That's all that happened here. So I knelt down by the side of the bed. Thank you, Lord. And the, this passage came up in my mind. The, the address, 1 Kings 19, came up in my mind. And I, and I felt impressed he wants me to go there. And I was like, I know that story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I can preach it, you know, maybe as good as you can. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. And I, so I looked it up and I said, okay, I'm reading it. Because a lot of times when the Lord tells you to read a story that you've read a million times, he's going to cause one word or one phrase to pop out at you as you're reading it. That's what I want to talk to you about right now. That's what I want to show you right now. So you got to trust the process. You got to just trust him. And so I was reading it and I read through the story. I got to this point right here. And you know what I said out loud? It was the first time I'd ever seen this, Mark. I read the story and after a second wham-wham back to God, I said out loud, he's caught in self-pity. And the Lord said, and so are you. I'm hideous. Don't look. (laughs) No, do you know what that did when he said that to me? I shot straight up full of faith and inspiration and hope and energy. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in self-pity. I could not wait to leave that hotel room and get back to preach to you and pastor the church and lead us forward. I mean, it was amazing when God corrects you it's so full of love and life and answers and hope and solutions it's just amazing because i want to wrap this up so how did god get him unstuck because um the whisper didn't do it and the display of the you know earthquake and the wind and the fire didn't do it and the food and feeding him did you guys catch that uh correlation how i ate and slept for two days just like elijah then he whispered to me. Then, now for me that worked. For Elijah, he was still stuck. Some of you might still be stuck even after the Lord tries and tries and tries. He'll continue to try forever. He will never give up on you. But what did he do? Well, he'd had enough of that. So what did he do? He said also, he says, then the Lord said to him, go. Everybody say go. go. Say it out loud, church. Say Go. Go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Haziel king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah. You shall anoint his prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, will, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Yet I have reserved, by the way, let me fix your perception of reality here. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. He tried to get his man unstuck, his Christian follower unstuck, his child unstuck from his place, his mentality, his emotional state through multiple means. And at one point it was, let's go. And he gave him a fresh assignment. Do something. Get up from your pity party And do something. I have found over 35 years of ministry and 40 years walking with the Lord, I have found the thing that heals me the most is staying in the game. People have said, the financial board said they asked if I wanted to take like a six-month sabbatical uh, early on in this battle with, uh, you know, this cancer that my wife has. And I learned over the years of being, going through trials and being in ministry, the worst thing you can do is sit down. 
Now, he did put us on a sovereign sabbatical. I took a year off in ministry. The first year we got married, that was God's sovereign will. That's different than sitting down because you've been hurt or you've been offended or you are loaded in shame or whatever it might be. That's not the Lord. Those are other forces and sources that are telling you sit down and just sit soak and sour. And that's exactly what will happen to you. I have found you get healed as you go. I have found when I'm caught up in my own stuff, if I will minister to somebody else, the anointing starts flowing, the wisdom of God starts flowing, the compassion of God starts flowing because you're engaged in helping somebody else and their demise and you get done helping somebody else and you are energized, full of faith and you have hope. It's an amazing thing. Am I preaching it? Anybody here today or in May online? Can I hear an amen from online? God had to turn Elijah's attention from the question why to what. Philip preached the same thing last year, our missionary to Brazil. Why God? Why did this happen to me? Why am I in this situation? Why did you allow this to happen to me? That question will drive you mad. And he rarely answers it. Because even if he does give the why, it may be too profound for us to even understand why. The right question to ask God is what? What do you want me to do right now? In my marriage, he'll give you, he will give you an assignment. What do you want me to do with this particular child of mine? He will give you a strategy. Shut up and just love him. Oh, I hate that, right? What do you want me to do about my finances? Sow an offering. What? Yeah, you got to sow some seed if you want to harvest. What do you want me to do about It's a what question. It will get you unstuck. It will get you out of self-pity. It will deliver you from the fear. He was, he was crippled in fear and suicidal. And within a matter of days, he anoints. This is so important. Oh my gosh. Because he got unstuck, thank God, and obeyed God's next assignment for him, he anointed Elisha, which was the next generation who ended up doing, to the point, twice as many miracles as Elijah did. If you quit, your wisdom, your wealth, your mantle, your ministry, your anointing will die with you and the next generation will not benefit from it. Maybe all of them won't want it, but somebody will. God will send you somebody in your life that will want to listen to your wisdom, that will want what you have, that will pull it out of you. But they can't find you if you're in a hole. Or a cave. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. So, I want us to come to the Lord together right now. And I want you to go ahead and just close your eyes right there. Because this is impartation time. This is response time. I've preached plenty. And now it's your turn to do something with it. You online as well. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to get alone with God. And I want, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring up into your mind a relationship, a ministry, uh, a trial, a thing of confusion in your life, whatever it is. And I'm going to ask Him to bring that up, and we're going to start there first. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to bring up into everybody's mind, Lord, an area of their life, Lord, where they're stuck. where they don't know what to do about something and they don't feel like there's anything they can do. Okay, just keep your eyes closed. If you feel like you've got an area or two or 15, just raise your hand where you are. And say, okay, I've got an area that I need God's help in. Okay, most of your hands have gone up, so I'll move forward. Okay, now rather than asking the wrong question of why, ask this question. Lord, what? What is your strategy for me?
What do you want me to do? And just close your eyes and just see what comes to your mind. Okay, now you can open your eyes. How many of you feel like, and if you didn't get anything, don't feel like a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. This is just the exercise that you can do anywhere at any time, and the Lord will speak to you. He'll put a thought in your mind, an impression in your heart, communicate to you in some way. But sometimes you can get it like right on the spot, okay? How many of you feel like the Lord gave you a strategy for a situation, a thought, whatever? Here's one, 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 okay. Ah, ha, 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 some. That's awesome. Now be like Elijah and go do it. And watch how you get healed as you go and people are going to be blessed because you decided that you're not going to sit soak and sour, but you're going to serve. Can I hear an amen? All right, let's all stand. And this week, tomorrow morning, Josiah and I leave for Denver. I'll be doing um, daily videos while I'm there, the best I I hope I can. I just do like a two-minute encouragement for you to pray 30 minutes a day for 30 days. We're in like day, I think today's like day six of our next 30 days. Please, church, pray. A praying church is a powerful church. Last week, this week, we prayed for the church. I gave you some documents on how to pray for the church. This next week, we are going to focus on praying for the chronically ill and diseased among us. I'm going to send out a list of names and the conditions. You can add your name to that or someone you know. And every day, church, let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Let's believe God for miracles. My wife needs a miracle of healing. Some of you do as well. Some people you know as well. Every day, let's hit it. Let's pray. There's no way we won't see some things if we will pray. If you don't get my daily videos, please email info at gatheringplacechurch.org. I want to be added to John's email list. Okay, you'll get my congregational letters. You'll get my daily videos. Info at gatheringplacechurch.org. Amen. Amen. Okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to worship one song, just thanking God for a great day in His house. And then the prayer team is going to come up, and they're going to pray for you, and the band's going to be low at that point so that you can actually hear what the prayer need is, and they can hear you pray for them. That's our strategy. Amen? All right, come on, let's give God praise. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands The moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice Your voice You have led me through the fire Lift it up. Darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God all my life. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness 
Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sing it again, your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Just the voices, let's sing all my life. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God All my life All my life you have been You have been so, so good Yes, Lord, free breath that I am in Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God Come on, let's give Him praise for His goodness Prayer teams, you are invited down And if you need prayer, come on forward Amen. Have a blessed week. I'd like to invite the prayer teams down front. Hallelujah. If you need any prayer, please come on down boldly. We, will, we want to pray with you. See God move in your life in a mighty way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.